Hey guys, real quick at the top of the show, so I originally recorded this as a bonus episode for Father's Day, it's just me and my dad, um, it went a little bit long, so I'm gonna go ahead and release it as a full episode, the other reason why too is that Laura's computer has been on the fritz, it'll be off for like a month, and then it'll randomly like turn back on for a week, and, and I kind of scramble to get stuff done in that short time period where it's working again. So that's kind of been part of the reason why um, we've been releasing stuff kind of irregularly. Uh, eventually I'm going to go ahead and just uh, re-buy all the software that we use and put it on my computer. It's going to be kind of a hassle, but that's kind of why we've been a little bit infrequent with the episodes. The last thing I want to mention before we get started is there's no death metal on this show. Um, it's just me and my dad. We're just talking. My dad's not a metalhead, so we just... We're talking about jazz, jazz fusion, funk. Um, despite that, though, even if you're like the most hardcore death metal dude ever, I still encourage you to listen to this. I think there's a lot of really cool stuff that me and my dad dig up. Um, I do have faith in, in you listeners out there. I think you guys will find something to really enjoy out of this because I think it's probably one of our best episodes yet. So, okay, thanks. <laughs> Welcome back to Reek of Potrefaction. I'm your host, Andrew. No Laura today, um, but we're here with a Father's Day special bonus episode with my dad. Hi, everybody. I'm Ross. I'm Andrew's dad. So I don't think we'll do the normal segments or anything like that, but let's go ahead and why don't you just start with your musical history, dad? Oh, uh, sure. Well, I've been into music all my life, like most of us, I suppose. Um, as a kid, my my parents were a big influence on me because they were playing music all the time around the house. And uh, my mom was a good piano player. My dad was a singer, a wonderful singer. And uh, he was mostly coming from the old tradition, and especially barbershop. He loved barbershop. So I got, I don't do that myself, but a, a good sense of harmony. And, you know, harmony was a big deal to them. And, uh, if you're from Chicago and you remember the Empire Carpet at what was, what was oh it? yeah Empire Carpets um that guy uh, I think his name name was Lynn Haldron he was a friend of my dad's and and his my dad's brother all my uncles he was a big time barber shopper too so um, there's a big barber shopper presence I guess in 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 the Chicago so if you're not from Chicago you probably have no idea what we're talking about but go YouTube Empire Carpet Man. He was like he's like a Chicago celebrity that was in the same barber shop as uh, my grandpa. Yeah, so not not to spend too much time on the barber shop, but that goes way back and into my early childhood days because I'd go to these barber shop shows with my dad or barber shop rehearsals. I remember one time uh, he had a rehearsal 
in this um, back room of a bar and there was a band set up, uh, a local Chicago band. Um, I think it was the Cry and Shames. They had all their equipment there and I couldn't resist. I went over there and started noodling around on the bass um, and uh, they'd be stopped because it was <laughs> interfering with the rehearsal, but it's just early memory that sticks with me. But uh, my dad and his brothers, he had a, came from a big family, his brothers and sisters all uh, were kind of forced to sing by their mom, who was another, uh, she was a musician too. Um, in those days, they would have a piano in the house, and not a lot of people had record players or anything, so they'd just gather around the piano and sing. So it goes way back to that. Um, so my early influences, influences were real old, old-timey songs. But then I started playing myself. I had piano lessons as a kid, and Andrew, you'll like this. I had, my first music teacher was a guy named Mr. Diamond. He would come to the house and give me piano lessons. And at the end of the lesson, if it was successful, he'd give me a comic book. He had all oh, these comic cool. books, and I could pick a comic book from that. That's awesome. Yeah, and so I started playing just for the comic books. And one, one time I didn't have a good lesson, and he wouldn't give me the comic book, and I just freaked out. I was really upset about it. So he <laughs> said, all right, fine, here's your comic book, and he never came back. <laughs> That's funny. But uh, so comic books are in the mix there too somewhere. I probably still have some of those old comic books. But um, so I, I played piano at first, and then um, my dad had a, an experience. Uh, he had an accident where a garage door closed down on his hand, broke his finger, and for therapy, he started playing guitar just to exercise his fingers. So then there was a guitar around the house. And he said, here, Ross, here's how you do this. And I started playing, and wow, this is cool. I enjoyed that. So I started playing guitar, and then I got a bass. And um, really liked the bass. I just liked the low notes. Started playing that. Um, in high school, I pretty much switched from guitar to bass. And then in college, I, um, I was a music major, string bass major. So I did that and uh, got a gig in a symphony orchestra right when I graduated in Bogota, Colombia. That was a lot of fun. That was uh, that was before the, all the violence and everything. Um, I did that for a year. It really wasn't a very good orchestra, but it was a great experience. And then I came back um, to Chicago and uh, got a regular job, uh, went back to school, became an engineer, electrical engineer. And I've been doing that as my regular job, but I still play all the time as much as I can. So that guitar that Grandpa gave you, was that the SG? No, actually, um, they did buy me that when I was in 7th or 8th grade, I think. Uh, the guitar that I started playing, that was my dad's, um, actually it was his mother's guitar. It was called a, I think it was called a parlor guitar. It was a small, real small classical guitar. Oh, okay. And, um, and then he had a guitar made by some local Chicago company called Regal. And uh, I played that in my first band um, with some kids in the neighborhood, Mark Madsen, uh, who's a pretty pretty well well known singer in the Chicago area now, well, you know, nationally. And uh, it was called the Precisions, and I played guitar in that band. And then I was using my dad's guitar. I bounced it on my amp, and it slid off, and the neck broke off, and I was just devastated. So um, I ended up getting you know, an electric guitar instead. The first guitar actually was a real cheap guitar called, a, I think, a Norma guitar. It was horrible. But then I got the SG after that. And uh, and that SG is... I, I want to bring that up because that's how I... One of, one of the first guitars I played. And 
grandpa paid like a couple hundred bucks for it right yeah he paid 200 for it and then wasn't there something where like there was like a weird block of ebony on there or something that only a couple hundred had yeah apparently it was a a pretty rare model so it 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 got real valuable and then i got nervous with you know i was glad andrew was playing it but then i got a little nervous thinking yeah maybe you should have your own guitar so then uh, we got you an sg yeah, it was like a, the same model. And that ebony piece made it worth like a small fortune, right? Just by pure happenstance. Yeah, it was just, uh, you know, it just happened to be a guitar that I bought from a, a friend of a, you know, a brother of a friend of mine. And he needed the money, you know, he, so he sold it. I think he regretted it later. He, he borrowed it a couple times to play with some friends. But uh, he was a real good guitar player, too. I, my buddy's name was Paul Mettler. I don't remember the, I think the guy's name was Jim. So Jim Mettler, if you're out there... Thank you, man. Hope you're doing okay. Yeah, right. Yeah. So uh, then, yeah, we could talk about the progression of instruments. Uh, actually, I played tuba. <laughs> I lived in Chicago. Then when I was 15, we moved to Wisconsin, uh, Delavan, Wisconsin. I went to high school, Bigfoot High School in Walworth. And um, I was fortunate, really, to do that because I had some really good music teachers. Um we had a band teacher and an orchestra teacher separate the orchestra and chorus teacher was a lady named miss mayo and she really encouraged me on bass like she had me play some solos for um for contests they have this thing called contest in wisconsin every year you go up and, and play these pieces and i remember complaining those note these notes are too high and she said oh come on you can do it so i did it and i you know did well and everything and so i continued on with that in band i played tuba which at first I thought, this is crazy. Why do I want to play a tuba? But I got good at it and I got to like it. Then I was, I got braces and I was devastated because my orthodontist said, you got to quit playing tuba. So what am I going to do? So then I, I started playing the bass more seriously. And actually, our neighbors had an auction. They were selling their house and there was an old K plywood bass there. It was painted green. It was ugly as, ugly as hell. But um, I got it. Nobody else was interested. I bid... 35 bucks for it and I got it and I ran home and said mom mom can I have 35 bucks I said, what 35 bucks why for a bass so I got it brought it home that was my bass for for many years I still have it really you still have that yeah is it at the house yeah it's up in Uncle Jim's room so I finally got it refinished um oh that's years why. later yeah but uh, I don't think you ever saw the ugly green version oh, too bad. but uh and it was not an easy bass to play the strings were real high um I never really had it worked on seriously but you know, that's I played that for a long time through high school. In fact, I only got my good bass in, in college, like maybe senior year. But um, so that's been my main thing, in electric and acoustic bass. Don't you have like a minor in, in bass or something like that? That was my, ma- my major. Your major. I was a music oh. major and, and a physics ma- uh, minor. So oh. the physics minor, that w- that came in handy when I wanted to uh, to get a regular job because then I was able to get a job as an electronic technician, and then um, in those days, I don't know if they do it anymore, in those days companies had tuition reimbursement. So I went to engineering school nights on the 10-year plan. <laughs> I, I think I think only today. like super, super nice corporation, like fancy jobs will do stuff like that. Uh, I was fortunate. You know, was the guy who hired me, you know, I had a degree, I had a bachelor's degree in music. He was looking for a technician. Typically, they would hire guys who, with an associate's degree from DeVry. He said, well, you have a bachelor's degree, so I'll take it. And I had some experience. So he hired me on. And uh, well, and so that became my uh, my career path for Do you think day working day. in, like, like, um, like, weren't you working in, like, 
tape deck and record player repair oh, yeah. shops. That probably oh, helps. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. I did. Um, I worked at a company called Admiral in Harvard, Illinois, uh, at Summers when I was going from college. That was another fortunate thing. We had a, a guy, a, a friend of the family, who worked there as an engineer, and uh, he was kind of like my first mentor in electronics. And uh, I asked him if there were any summer jobs at Admiral, and he said, uh, "Well, you got to take a test." Um, but yeah, I mean, I can put in a good word for you. So I went and took the test. <coughs> it was I did well on the test, so they said, "Okay, you know, we'll hire you." And so I had experience. And then while I was in college too, um, I worked at a TV repair shop part time. American TV, Crazy TV, Lenny, <laughs> and uh, I really didn't know what I was doing. I would just you know screw around until I got the things working again but then I you know got a grasp of it started learning and uh and there's a I guess there was a mix with music too because it was I worked on you know good stereo equipment and a lot of audio stuff so the two were kind of intertwined in in, in my in my lifetime well yeah you can basically repair almost anything analog yeah I've, I've so. I spent a lot of time you know many years fixing stuff so I'm a you know big believer in fixing stuff up keeping it working uh it's more challenging now you know with the way to design products but uh, the older stuff old tube amps and things like that they have a lot of appeal for me because yeah, you sound built good. me my first well the first amp i used was that flip top ampeg yeah but the the first real guitar amp that i used was one that you handled. oh that's right the marsh peg yeah i had a in fact, the bass player in the, my first band with Mark Madsen and uh, Rich, what was the guy's name? Rich uh, Rakowski, I think. So he played bass. He had an Ampeg um, Reverberocket that he was playing bass through. I thought, well, that's not really the best bass amp. So his dad took the guts of that amp, put in a bigger cabinet with a bigger speaker, and then he said, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do with this cabinet. I said, I'll take it. So he gave it to me. I had this, so this, this is back in the 60s, 67, 68. Um, nearly perfect uh, reverb rocket cabinet. So I, that followed me around for years and years. And finally I decided to build an app out of it. And I took some Marshall schematics and a Bell & Howell uh, projector power amplifier. Those are actually pretty nice. It's a couple 6v6 six, six tubes and... Uh, Nice little 10 watt, 8 to 10 watt power amp. So I put that in there and I put together a Marshall, Marshall esque preamp. And that was Andrew's first amp, right? Yeah, I, I yeah. used that until it fell apart. Yeah, I got to get that working again. I brought, I hauled it out a couple months ago and when Jenny was over, we were going to use it and the amp started smoking. So I know I need oh, to spend, yeah. I need to work on it a little bit. And it wasn't very loud. I need to put a, you know, I need to revise the whole thing. Yeah, that was the only thing. It sounded amazing, but it, with playing it with with drums, it wasn't quite loud. Yeah, enough. it wasn't very loud. Especially because Anthony would play so loud. Yeah. With uh, the so, so what amp did you got get after? Then you then you saw my Ampeg V4, right? I found. Yeah. And you I said I'm it. using. I'm taking this. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was buried under a pile of stuff. And yeah. I was like, Dad, what is that? I used to use that amp all the time. Um, I played in a lot of jobbing bands and stuff and jazz gigs, but that amp was just too big. You know, I'd bring that in. I had this custom KUSTOM bottom with two 15s in it. It had really squeaky casters. I'd roll that into gigs and people would freak out. It's like, no. I remember one time I was going into a, we were playing a wedding 
and I'm wheeling that thing in. And this old guy sitting at the table goes, we hadn't even set up yet. I'm wheeling the thing and he says, turn it down! <laughs> I Yeah, I used that Ampeg V4 for, for 10 years, really. I, I think I got that when I was maybe 16 or 17 and I... It's a great amp. I used it up until this year and the only reason I switched to the 5150 was because I wanted something with like a, a built-in overdrive channel and man that ampeg is just so heavy it's it is it's it a real heavy amp really kind of a pain to gig with that's um, probably that's probably why i stopped using it because it was just too too much to carry around did i tell you when i was on tour with maggot one of the bands because we we didn't bring any cabs or anything we just used we just gear shared cabs the whole tour mm -hmm. from the local bands yeah um one of them just happened to have an ampeg v4 cab oh well, this, I think you told me about that. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. so. It sounded incredible. Like yeah, it was designed for that amp. Yeah, it was fantastic sound. I'd I'd like to get an Ampeg V4 cab. Well, we have to keep so, an eye out for one. Yeah, look around for one. Yeah, yeah. So you had a Marshall cabinet that I got for you uh, at Midwest yep. Buy and Sell. I'd highly recommend that place if anybody in, is in Chicago. It's on Irving Park Road. It's kind of like um, for like locals, Minneapolis locals. It's kind of like um, like a music music go around kind of thing right? yeah it's like a music go around but it's it's just one guy that owns it and he's just got tons of gear coming in and out of there and he's uh very fair you know you make him an offer and if it's reasonable um he'll entertain it so i got i've gotten several things there i got your 5150 there yeah and i just went in there one day you know i, I had a little extra time so i said i'm gonna run down there real quick you know and nobody will notice i'm gone <laughs> and you i remember paying off paying off that 5150 really fast you yeah got, you got a good deal on it i think i i was sending you payments for just a couple of months and yeah no that off. that worked out well for for everybody and um and then i don't know do we talk about gear much on this podcast we could talk we've about been whatever. talking about it yeah. one you had this weird problem with it too this is a, a tip for for anybody who's interested i think probably some people listening might be playing in a band using a 5150 yeah so. so you had a lot of problem with noise on that amp right well i think mm. it was because i had a a really shitty cable it was a bad cable that amp has so much gain it's 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 it, the design i there's a there's a youtube video with the designer he's a pv is a company that i think they're in meridian mississippi so this this guy they're at the engineer who designed that one he met up with uh, eddie van halen and had several meetings with him and they they tweaked it together to get it sounding the way that uh, van halen liked and um the downside of that now speaking as an engineer now electrical engineer that amp has way too much gain it shouldn't have that much gain and as a result it has a lot of noise so it's very sensitive if you have a crummy cable that's noisy or picking up noise it will actually pick up signals from radiated from the amp it'll couple into the cable and you'll have some horrible feedback yeah so the problem mm. i was having was it was just like basically screaming feedback anytime i wasn't playing and there was even a lot of noise while i was playing and i i'm not going to throw the company under the business because they're a local guitar shop but no i kept using their cables oh okay and every cable i used from them was just as bad and then i switched it out with one of andy our bass player he brought some cables for me to try and i just used one of his and it was dead silent in between playing so i could give a plug to uh there's a company called Klotz Cables, K-L-O-T-Z. And um, I have a friend named Eric Klotz, who's a, a fantastic guitarist. 
uh, no relation, but he was at a NAM show recently, or somehow he met up with these guys, Klotz, in Germany. And they said, oh, <coughs> would you endorse our cables? He tried it out, and he loved the cables. They're, they're, they're wonderful cables, pretty expensive. But um, those are really good. And the, uh, my other recommendation would be Mogami. Uh, they make fantastic wire. They make guitar cable or instrument cable. It's got a, a layer of plastic with carbon embedded in it, and that cuts down on the noise. So um, I think Bogami is probably the you know one of the best ones. And Neutrik, N-E-U, Neutrik plugs and, and jacks are real good too. So cables are real important. It makes a big difference. Yeah, lesson learned. I, yeah. I thought there was problems with the amp the whole time. Cause it was I did too, so and you brought it down, and I, I opened it up and looked at it, and then I... I tried to make the amp less noisy. I put some 12AU7s in instead of 12AX7s to cut the gain down, which helped, but it didn't sound the same. Yeah. And I put some low noise resistors in uh, the preamp section, which helps too. They just had generic carbon film resistors. I put some, I think I put some bulk metal foil resistors in there, which is the quietest in the world. Oh. Yeah. Um. So... Actually, yeah, we're 20 minutes in, so why don't we get started? Do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? Um, You go ahead. I've been talking about the whole time. Okay. So, a lot of my picks... So, okay, so we should also say that this is not going to be a death metal episode. Um, but we did mention on the first episode that we might kind of do some journeys into other stuff. So, this is going to be mostly jazz today, but... Um, a lot of my picks are from Japan, because... I figured. All right, great, we got ads great. coming here. Stranded. Great, don't just have great. State Farm anymore. Just great. I don't have State Farm either. So a lot of my picks are Japanese jazz fusion because I I've never heard you talk about Japanese jazz at all. I'm not real so. familiar with it. I, I know one guy, uh, Masabubi Kikuchi, he's real good. Um. And there's a guy, Sadao Watanabe, who's a really good trumpet player, I think, or maybe sax player. I guess I don't know him that well. <laughs> so this guy is, uh, I'll just say right off the bat, because I don't think any of our listeners will know what any of this stuff is. It's Osamu Kitajima, hmm. and he kind of mixes jazz fusion with kind of like traditional, um, like, Eastern instruments. Oriental instruments. So. I like this. Dragon King. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like Mahavishnu Orchestra a little bit, but with kind of like a an Oriental or I, I don't know, I, is it Asian or Oriental? I, you like can say it, you know. I think Oriental refers to like n non-people. Oriental being Asian is people. Eastern, you know. Well, I think the terminology is Oriental. Like you have like an Oriental plate, but you don't have an Oriental person. Yeah, oriental a carpet, person, oriental a, music, oriental influences, how about that? Yeah, because I think yeah. a person is Asian and everything else, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, it doesn't I don't matter. know, there's, there, Asia is a huge, huge part of the world. I mean, there's all, there's, it goes from Turkey through India all the way to Japan, Korea. Yeah. Parts of Russia, much of Russia. Anyway, I, I like the fretless bass on this. Yeah, so I think, I think this is like almost all this one guy. Well, I'm not sure about that. You follow this YouTube page, right? Marcel the Drunkard? Yeah. If you don't, you should, because oh, yeah, he yeah. posts like tons of obscure jazz stuff. Oh, man. Marcel the Drunkard. Mm 
That's really cool. I like and, it. Uh, this guy has a bunch of albums, and they're all amazing. And actually, so I don't know if you knew this, Dad, but we we based our podcast on um, on another podcast. I usually try to mention it like every episode to kind of give them credit, but um, they actually played this guy, and I was really mad when they played it. I wasn't mad, but I was really disappointed when they played it because I had had this in my little pl YouTube playlist to play for you, oh. but they played this on I Hate Music also. I don't remember what the episode <laughs> is. I Hate Music. Yeah, that's the name of his podcast, but we, we kind of took this format from him. Okay. Um, and he's like, he's like a metal dude, but he's, he's very, uh, he's got a lot of diverse tastes and like, mm. usually, a lot of the time they don't even play metal on the show. They'll play like, like the first episode they were playing like Israeli synth pop. Oh, cool. stuff. So it's like really kind of yeah is I like I like a lot of diversity like that you know yeah right so that I mean our show isn't quite like that we mostly play death metal but mm -hmm. you know if I like something enough I'll want to play it you know and I think that I think jazz influences quite a bit of death metal too so I think it's not totally irrelevant to be to do a jazz episode but well I've noticed some of the chords you play you've got your own tuning too but a lot of the chords sound really jazzy to me yeah, well, that's probably because I listen to a lot of jazz. Probably, yeah. yeah. Oh, there's the Koto. Yeah, it's cool, right? Yeah. Yeah, except for that, I wouldn't know that this was Japanese or, you know, Asian. It just sounds like fusion, you know? Yeah. And the strings. The strings, that kind of takes... <clears throat> that seems like a reference to Jocko, one of Jocko Pastorius' albums. Word of mouth. Yeah, we were listening to Jocko this morning, actually. Yeah. And the piano sounds like George Duke. It's, yeah, George Duke will be coming up later today. Yeah. I love George Duke. He's amazing. He's great. Another really versatile musician, too. George Duke, was, he was the a, a keys player, right? Yeah. Okay, there's a great video of George Duke, Billy Cobham... Um, um, who's the guy before Jocko? Alfonso Johnson, I yeah. think, was on that tour. Oh, listen to this. Oh, that's crazy. Alright, sorry. Yeah, it was George Duke, Alfonso Johnson, um, Billy Cobham, and then I think maybe like Wayne Shorter is a sax player. Right? Yeah. I think it was, yeah, I think it was those four. It was like I like all four of those guys. It's such a great tour. I wish I could find that video. But hmm. I thought I would have loved to play for you. So that was um, not an ad. That was Osamu Kitajima. The album is Dragon King. Okay, Dad, go for it. I got all your tabs up here. Oh, okay, so. yeah. So let's uh, let's see. Where, which are my tabs here? Let's pick something. You, get, you have those um, three. And oh, okay. I'll, I'll just use that one. Tab. Actually, you know what? Since we were talking about George Duke, let's play this one real okay, quick. Let's do George Duke. Yeah. Um, this is an album, one of my early uh, albums that I had. I think I was still in high school. 
Um, and somebody turned me on to this. I had this friend in Elkhorn, Wisconsin, who was um, learning to repair wind instruments. And Elkhorn, I don't know if they are anymore, but they used to be a big center for uh, woodwind instruments and get some help. So this guy, I don't know, came from Pennsylvania or someplace out east to study at this place as an apprentice. And he had this extensive record collection. So we played together, and I would go over to his place and just record stuff on his reel-to-reel. And uh, this was one of the albums, George Duke Faces in Reflection. Can you guess who the drummer is? Yeah, this is really cool. Yeah, George Duke is really versatile. <clears throat> he played with Frank Zappa for a long time, too. You know, everyone tells me that I would really like Frank Zappa, but I haven't really listened to anything. Oh, you know what? I should pick out some stuff that played Zappa. There's um, a good album of his. I think that he has George Duke on it. It's called Apostrophe. Okay. So check that one out. And uh, I went to Beloit College for a year, my first, you know, freshman year, and then I went on to the University of Wisconsin, but uh, Frank Zappa played a, a concert at Beloit, and I, I'll never forget, the main, my main takeaway was, he went up on stage and said, yes, Beloit, the town that sounds like dropping a marble in the toilet. <laughs> That's funny. I saw a lot of great jazz shows at that. I Didn't saw John, see... John McLaughlin there, the Mahdi Orchestra. Yeah. I remember for your birthday one year. Oh, that's awesome, yeah. I tracked down that exact recording of that exact concert and I uh, I bought it for you. Yeah, that was. That was hard to get, too. That was. There's like a really interesting era of the internet that didn't last very long, from like 2010 to 2012, where you could literally download any album that ever existed. They called it file sharing or like rapid sharing. There was like rapid share, media fire. There were all these websites where you could instantly, it would take like one minute, you'd download a whole album. Oh yeah, I remember you doing that. And you could find everything and then the government cracked down on it. It was it was way faster than torrenting. It was way, way harder to get viruses with, with rapid sharing or I don't, I think that's what it was called, but yeah, you could get everything. I built up a huge iTunes library just there were all these music blogs where, like, you know, like, some guy would just, like, post all these albums, you know, like, people would take really rare records from their collection and upload it onto blogs, and you'd find all these music blogs that had this, like, endless selection of, like, you'd find, like, a death metal or death metal blog, and it'd be, like, Italian death metal band that released like one demo in 1991 and oh, was that how you discovered all that stuff? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the people before me, before my time, they found out like the people that were making these blogs. I was, you know, a college kid back then, but like the people that were making these blogs were tape traders from the 90s. Oh. They would make dubs of tapes and and send them out, you know, all over the world, and then just hope that they'd get sent something back. Hmm. Uh, we're doing two tracks on this one, right? Oh uh, yeah, this is well. This okay. is a smoother side of George Duke. 
Um, just give you an idea of his range. So yeah, he's a vocalist so, like, too. Yeah. But I mean, harmonically, he's just so so deep. But yeah, so that's I mean that's that's how death metal kind of spread around the world was with tape trading. Like these guys in Sweden would trade tapes with guys in Florida. Hey, he's smooth, man, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, this is like almost the polar opposite of the, what we just heard. Yeah, definitely. That is very dynamic, you know. Uh, who else is playing on this album? Anyone I would know? Or? Um, you know, can, we can, uh, should say in there somewhere, so. I'll look on my phone real quick. It sounds like Billy Cobham on drums, but I'm not positive about that. I'm a big Billy Cobham fan, yeah. as we were talking about before. This sounds a, a lot like the band Cannibal Adderley had on his last album before he died. It sounds like not the traditional uh, straight-ahead Cannibal Adderley. He was really getting into this kind of stuff. Yeah. Wondering who the bass player is, too, on this. Yeah, it doesn't have a Wikipedia page, which is weird. Oh. But let's see. There's definitely some mentions of it. Oh, do you know this website? It's called progarchives.com. No. You should check it out. No, it's Prague cool. I haven't thought about this in a long time. Um, John Hurd is the bass player. John Hurd, okay. And uh, Leon Chancellor. Leon Chancellor. Leon Ndugal. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't even going to try yeah. to pronounce that. Yeah. N-D-U-G-U Chancellor. Yeah. Leon Ndugal Chancellor. So I don't know those guys. I'm sure you are familiar, but Leon Chan—he's one of those unsung, awesome drummers. He's—he's had a lot of recordings, but I don't know why he's not more recognized. But obviously, he's a real good player. And John Hurd—I think he's a Chicago guy. I think he played with Ramsey Lewis a lot. Let's see, John Hurd. doing on the sound. Hmm. Now, listeners might know I'm a big fan of synthesizers, especially synths and keyboards and death metal. Some of these jazz fusion guys were really some of the early adopters of the synthesizer. Is that true, Dan? Yeah. Yeah. Like people like... Uh, like people, Joe Zawinul. Joe Zawinul. George yeah. Duke was one of the, one of the big... First guys uh, who did a lot with it too. Herbie Hancock really Herbie kind of, of pushed the limits of the synthesizer. If I could pick a hundred albums, there'd be a bunch of Herbie Hancock in there. Yeah, I've, I've never heard anything that was. Uh... So all I'm getting for John Hurd is that he was the dad from Home Alone. <laughs> hmm. Probably not the same. Different guy. John Hurd. Yeah. Okay, John Hurd jazz bassist. Unless he was a bassist too, who knows? Um, what was your question about him? I forgot it already. Uh, who's the drummer on this album? 
Oh, oh no, and you said you found out. Yeah, well, you had a question about John Hurd that I was looking him up. Uh, oh, did he play with, is he a Chicago guy? And oh, Did he play with Ramsey right. Lewis? Yeah, yeah. Uh, doesn't say anything about Chicago, no. Hmm, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he sounds like somebody who did play with Ramsey, maybe. He's a painter, though. Huh. Examples of his work are held in the Oakland Museum of California. Oh. Well, I suppose you could do John Hurd discography, but it was just a passing thought. It's uh. I guess my big point is like this is the album I listen to every night for years you know i just had this sure. a whole reel-to-reel -reel tape that i would just play you know until I, I fell asleep and would keep on going so some of this stuff went into my uh subconscious sure no yeah that was awesome let's see looks like i'm up next this is going to be a pretty wacky one oh wow so keeping with my japanese theme um, there's this guy, Rachiro Manabe, who, he did theme, there's one, there, he did themes for a couple movies that you'll totally understand how I found this guy when I tell you, but he did a themes for a bunch of Japanese kind of exploitation films, mm. and they often have these kind of really jazzy, uh, kind of elements to them, kind of like experimental, a little avant-garde. He did a lot of... This is Rachiro Manabe's soundtrack for Lake of Dracula, which was kind of a... Are you familiar with, like, the Hammer Dracula films? They're, no. like, Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing were in them. They're, like, the, they're like the British Dracula movies. Oh. Um, they're kind of like those movies, but all with Japanese people instead. Hmm. They're like, it's okay. a trilogy of Japanese vampire movies that are kind of, like, very, like... Like, the, the British Dracula films are, like, really stuffy and castles, and they're really, like, Indeed, medieval-looking. Yeah, you know, but they're also very bloody, too. Yeah. Um, and so, like, these Toho Dracula films were in, influenced by Hammer. But anyway, so Rachiro Manabe, he did a lot of, like, softcore porn and, like, pornographic soundtracks. Um, but he also did this, this really... This is not, not your typical porn soundtrack music, though. No, well, he, I, he was... You know, don't let that, you know, that's not a, a put down because he, I'm sure he No, no, this great... is good stuff. I like this. Yeah, so Rachiro Manabe, and you, this is all going to make sense to you, did the soundtracks for two movies that I really love, and that's Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster oh. and Godzilla vs. Megalon. Oh, okay. <coughs> this is and cool. Like those this. have very non Godzilla sounding music because they have all jazz soundtracks in those two movies, and they're really weird. Oh, this is a find. I like this. Yeah, Rachiro Manabe. And this guy literally gets no credit. Like, like Godzilla fans hate. Like he's only known for doing Godzilla soundtracks, and all all Godzilla fans hate his soundtracks for the Godzilla films. This is a real find. There's no comments at all on this YouTube either, so nobody's. There's less than to this. a thousand views on yeah. it too. There's 500 views on this video. But 
I like it because it's like it's jazz, but it's really spooky, atmospheric yeah. jazz. You know. And the harpsichord in there. What do you hear a harpsichord in jazz? Yeah, you know that. That's why I kind of wanted to go a Japanese route because a lot of these Japanese jazz musicians kind of ignored a lot of conventions and just yeah. did whatever they thought sounded cool and didn't really think too much about it. Well, the harpsichord, I mean, that, that kind of speaks to the, the scary part, too, because you yeah. hear harpsichords and sure. a lot of scary moves. <coughs> Just like here's this, this decrepit old uh, corpse sitting in a you know dusty old mansion playing a harpsichord. And that's what I'm picturing. And I like these field recordings, too. I yeah. didn't even notice them until now, but there's kind of ocean and wind yeah. and bird sounds going. The movie is Lake of Dracula, right? So. Yeah. So yeah, that was a pretty quick one. Should I? Should I? Can I do two? Sure. Is that okay? Because yeah. I think you had two on your. Uh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Cool. Perfect. This isn't Richiro Manabe. Oh, okay. Um, this is something else. This is another really incredible Japanese jazz fusion artist that I stumbled on. Hiromasa Suzuki. Hiromasa Suzuki. That one's high flying. And let's see how we're doing for time. Oh, we're doing, we're doing okay. This will be a little bit of a longer episode, but for usually, usually the full episodes are like ninety minutes to okay. two hours, and I try to keep the bonus episodes at like forty-five. But right. there's no rules. And I think we each only have one more pick after this, right? Um, I think I had a couple more. Oh yeah, you have you have two more, right? Yeah, actually, I think this one is. I would do that one next. Okay. Just going into the funk dimension. This whole album is just like a total journey. The album's called High Flying, and this Hiro Masa Suzuki. This would be good to listen to on a long card car ride. Yeah, let's see if I can kind of skip around a little bit here for the sake of time. He gets really wild with it. Oh, wow. Actually, the pleasure would be a good segue from this. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's got a little bit of a. It's always getting a little more funky. And then we'll play some American funk after this. So one of my big influences too is is funk. I was just totally enamored with you know funk and bass playing and just the whole you know the Ohio players and starting then. Um, George Clinton and the Funk Mob listened to a lot of that stuff too that was a big influence on me which we'll get to in a minute
Yeah, this this album is kind of hard to pick like a single track from. This, you know, it, it covers a lot of ground. Yeah, right, and it it, it changes up quite a bit. It's, it's similar to um, what was his name? The guy I played first, Os Osamu Kitajima, where it's like you really should be hearing the full album because it it goes like you said, yeah, it covers a lot of ground. It really explores a lot of different places and. You know Ronan really likes this stuff. Oh yeah? Yeah, he gets excited whenever I put jazz on. He like, comes and like sits in my lap and just purrs really loud. Well. He's got good taste. Yeah. Well, he's a street cat too. Yeah, that's true. He's an alley cat. Your listeners know about Ronan, the story of Ronan. Oh yeah, he shows up on the episodes all the time. He's always like knocking something over or like... <laughs> bad boy actually I think all of our cats have made guest appearances doing something <laughs> or other so. tracks are I might oh here we go oh wait there's some I don't think I'll I don't think I'll play a full track I'll just kind of skip around okay because this album kind of goes in a lot of places any of these guys no yeah the percussionist is larry sunaga yeah my goal was to kind of hopefully get you down a rabbit hole of checking out all these japanese jazz guys because there's so many of them and they were all doing such interesting stuff in the 70s and 80s i had a friend of uh, an engineer at motorola named hiro kikuchi who um he gave me a bunch of albums when he went back to japan and one of them uh was a guy uh, Masabumi Kikuchi. Uh, that stuff was good. So here's some funk. Um, band called Pleasure, and uh, just the baseline on this. Just you can't hold still when you listen to this. It's great. Okay, I'll I'll play it for you. Oh wait, sorry. Here we go. Do you have any jazz cassettes? I'm, I want to start... See that um, that bottom? Oh, you need to fill that in. Yeah, I want to try to get a bunch of jazz Not cassettes. Not a lot. I, I'll look around what I've got. If you find jazz cassettes, even if you're just around, okay. try because they're always really cheap, try to grab right. them for me, because um, I want to build up my jazz cassette collection. Right. I got some... There's some John Schofield over there. Oh, good. Um, sorry, no, John McLaughlin. John McLaughlin. I don't have any John Schofield. Schofield's another one that's like... John Schofield's cool too, yeah. But I have some John McLaughlin. There's, I think there's only like four jazz tapes, including that Weather Report tape mm. we were listening to. Okay. We need more. Hey, listen how tight this band is. They're just... Oh, good. yeah.
This is really catchy. Yeah. The whole album is great. And these guys are like studio players. They're so, so clean and tight. They might be, might have been studio players that got together to make this album. I'm not sure. Dude, that synth is awesome. Yeah. Laura and I just bought a keyboard, actually. Oh, yeah? Because we want to start finding some... That one? Oh, no. Actually, Chris, uh, Jenny's husband, gave, oh, yeah, gave yeah, that yeah. one to us. But we bought, like, a full keyboard. Oh, cool. We found it for, like, 80 bucks at a thrift oh, store, and we just put it half and half, and... It's pretty cool. It's got a lot of sounds on there. Oh, good. It's like a pretty. We look and like we looked it up on eBay before we bought it to see, if, you know, if that was, if eighty dollars is a good deal. And yeah, we're selling for like a 150, 200 bucks on eBay. So oh, cool. We grabbed it. And obviously, yeah. the basement's flooded, so I can't really oh. use it too much. It, it flooded like just the day after we got it, oh. so we haven't even been able to mess with it really. But it didn't get damaged in the flood, did it? No, it's on a stand. It's so good. it's fine. But. Yeah, thank God, nothing nothing got damaged from my flood except cardboard boxes. You were smart to put stuff on pallets. Yeah. Yeah, this is awesome though. I, this is this is one that I would come back to. Definitely, definitely, you gotta come back to this and listen to the whole album. It's it's great. There's uh, in fact, the whole the whole album is on YouTube. I had a friend of, uh, uh, another guy I worked with when I was at Northern Telecom, uh, Craig Martin. Guy from Rockford, he introduced me to a lot of funk. We used to drive to work together, and so after work we'd hang out, you know, and he'd bring in all this funk. Um, Atlantic Star, Pleasure, um, George Clinton and the Funk Mob. He ex exposed me to a lot of that stuff, and I'm eternally grateful to him. I wish I could find him. He, uh, this video has a ton of views too. It's got a uh, 1.5 million views. That's a lot. So this is this like a bigger band then? Is well known? They've got a lot of albums. Well, not a lot of albums, but they're... Um, well, would you say I they're mean, more well-known? It's a great... That's, that's a lot of views for someone like this. Maybe they're, they weren't well-known to me. Because <laughs> oh, I wasn't okay. familiar with sure. a lot of the, the, the funk genre until you know, my friend introduced me to it. And um, Well, you know, sometimes... And th this may or may not be my next pick. I'm not sure. But... Um, Sometimes YouTube al algorithms will recommend something really famous oh, okay, or yeah. something really obscure and make it famous. That might have been what happened because I don't. Not a lot of people knew about Pleasure, but when I heard that album, I mean, I just couldn't stop listening to it. Um, this is a similar vibe. There's a, a a band called Slave, which has an awesome bass player too, who's kind of like this guy. Um, they're from Ohio. A lot of these bands, like the Ohio Players, obviously. Um, Dayton, Ohio, I think, was a big uh, funk center with, with some really ex excellent bass players that kind of laid down the groove. Ohio is also really known for grindcore. Oh, okay. They have, like, like some of the best grindcore in the world is coming out of Ohio. Specifically, like, Lima, Ohio. has like... Almost nothing but good grindcore bands. Huh. There's like nothing else to that whole city except for grindcore. Yeah, I think you could say the same thing. You know, Dayton I think was a big center. Dayton, you know, didn't have much going on except for the music scene. And there's a big Air Force base too. I think Dayton Wright Air Force base. So there's a lot of people that <coughs> were probably 
ended up in Dayton because they were in the Air Force, and then they oh. raised their families there, and, you know. Interesting. And this happened. Not pleasure. I think they're from L.A., but, you know, it's the same, very similar to what they were doing in Dayton. Yeah, I highly recommend this album. Yeah, this is really cool. I, I like this one a lot. I don't know much about funk at all, really. My knowledge of funk comes from, like, the movie Shaft. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which, by the way, they're making a third movie just called Shaft. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. That, that's, like, this Hollywood trend that just drives me absolutely bonkers. Like... Remakes. Well, it's it's one thing if you're gonna remake a movie, but it, if you don't remake it with the exact same title, or don't do a sequel with the same title as the first movie. Yeah. That's... So like like a new Halloween movie just came out. Okay. And so there's the original Halloween. Just this is just an example. This is the original Halloween. Then there's the Rob Zombie remake called Halloween, and now there's a sequel to the original Halloween, also just called Halloween. Hmm. So we have three movies called Halloween. Why? Like, why would... Just put a little thing Halloween comes back year after year. I don't get it. So, okay, now for my last pick, would you rather hear more Japanese stuff? It's kind of... It's a, it's a subgenre called city pop. It kind of combined pop music and jazz into this kind of, like, smooth listening kind of like urban it's a very uniquely japanese genre hmm. or would you rather hear um sean lane sean lane okay yeah sean lane is he's uh definitely talent deserving of wider recognition unfortunately he's he's gone and i think that but he was a i think he'll awesome really guitarist. appeal to uh like the metal listeners too um let's see oh wait what's this one jonas helberg uh, yeah, but that's a whole album. Oh no, okay. So there's a, there's an album with Jonas Halberg and Sean Lane playing at some Italian jazz festival, which is really good. But that's not what we're looking for here. So okay. Yeah, this is like his his really famous one, I think. Well, actually, I'd rather do a studio recording than a live recording. So Sean Lane was kind of this like really interesting cross between like shred guitar in the vein of like Steve Vai or John Petrucci or like any of those guys, but he he was like a sh one of the sh he was like a shredder for jazz. Like he didn't play like metal or some kind of stuff. He could if he wanted to. He, yeah. And he kind of did. Like, it's kind of a cross between uh, yeah, the two. Yeah, I think there's... Yeah. I think he had some metal influences, for sure. Or maybe he influenced metal. Yeah, and sadly, he died from... I think it was, like, a, a thyroid disorder or something. He, like, couldn't control his weight. Like, no, no amount of dieting or exercise would prevent him from gaining weight. And eventually, that just... He, like, and if you look at YouTube videos, I mean, he just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and that eventually just killed him. Mm. There's some uh, disorder that he had. So yeah, this is Sean Lane, Get You Back, from the album Powers of Ten.
Yeah, he's not really shredding in this one. No, this is pretty, uh, pretty laid back. How about some of that stuff with Jonas Halberg? Can you find something like that real quick? Huh? Can you find something with Jonas Halberg? Um, and Sean Lane? I saw some earlier. Okay, let's take a look. Yeah, there was one, um, this yeah, one? try this one. Cool. Yeah, there's a, they had like um, some Indian guy playing. Uh, yeah, yeah. You want this one? Yeah, try this. I have never heard this before, but this is promising. Okay. So yeah, here's a whole another influence now, Indian music. Oh wow, I'm really excited about this. Selva Ganesh, yeah, yeah. Is Jonas Hellborg the bass player? Yeah. I can't sit across that good very well. Yeah, I think it's a requirement. Well, Sean Lane can either. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe I could, yeah. Yeah, there's like a motorcycle club in this neighborhood. Mm. They always zip around really loud. And Somebody broke down the alley from Clemson State. This big scope like flashing up those the cops at first. Oh, that's weird. That's bizarre. Listen to this. Oh, those chords. That guy's literally just playing on bass. Yeah. It's crazy. Is there, an, is there a name for that instrument, or is it, is it just playing bass? I think it's just an acoustic bass guitar. No, no, it's like bass. Bass. There's oh, bass. Guy with oh, bass. Oh, bass. Oh, bass. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, I'm sure it's got a name. Um, it just looks like a big clay pot, basically. It's... Kanjira? Oh, okay. Or Gatam. Here's Gatam. I'm not sure which guy is which. I'm not sure. This is 15 minutes long. Okay. So I'll just I don't get wanna... a taste of it. Um, well, I might just play. This is his most famous song. And this is him shredding, I think, too. So. Okay, yeah. Oh, that sounds awful. Let's try. I just want. Because we have metal listeners, I want to. Yeah, for sure. Hear, uh... Time is the enemy. I'm pretty sure this is his. 
Yeah. Oh yeah, this has got Jonas Helberg on it too. So, I mean, as you can tell, you know, this guy was kind of all over the place. So it's kind of like metal and jazz, yeah. kind of shred stuff put together. Fusion metal. Metal fusion. The only person I can think of that that is kind of similar is John Schofield. This kind of like this kind of style. Skull uses a lot more pedals and stuff lately, lately but uh, but yeah, it's similar. Shredder, though. Um, are, is this it after this, or do you have you have one more, right? Oh, yeah. Can I do this? I think, yeah, I think you haven't played that one yet. Where's this one? Yep. Okay. Oh. Still gonna be shorter than our normal episodes. Okay. So I think it qualifies as a bonus episode still. I think it's This is another dimension that, that you should hear. Mike Sturt is a real good uh, jazz fusion guitarist, so I hope you like it. Okay, well, I'll save it for that pick when we get to it. Or we can cut Sean, Sean Lane. We can cut him off here. So we play like three songs, man. Right, so here's uh, introduce. Okay, this is Bill, Bill Evans, not the piano player Bill Evans, but a saxophone player named Bill Evans, who's a uh, talent deserving wider recognition, I guess. With Randy Brecker, Mike Stern, guitarist, Jimmy Earl on drums. Apparently, some horn players. What instrument does Bill Evans play? Saxophone. Okay, that's what I thought. There he is.
They don't give a lot of credit to who's playing what, but I think it's probably Mark Egan on bass. Dave Weckl is drummer. It sounds kind of like Dave Weckl. is cool, just playing guitar. Yeah, Mike Stern. Okay. He's a little <coughs> closer to Schofield, I think, than, uh, than Sean Lane. Yeah, there's really nobody quite like Sean Lane, honestly. No, no, he's amazing. I'd like to hear what he would have done with these guys. Thank you. 
That's how we, uh, that's how we pull the uh, tracks off the internet. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting like little thing. Sanders and some of the avant-garde jazz guys from uh, the 60s and 70s. Who's that guy I used to really like? He'd put like like leads on trumpets and stuff. Oh, Roland Kirk? Yeah. Russ on Roland Kirk? Russ on Roland Kirk. Yeah. yeah. That guy's pretty wild. Oh, you could do a whole podcast about him. He's, he's amazing. He'd play multiple instruments at the same time. Yeah, he'd play like two saxophones yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Oh, my pleasure. Um, happy Father's Day. No, thank you. I'm, I think I'm going to try to put this episode out on uh, on Father's Day. Okay. I'll edit it together before then. Um, and if you want to get in touch with the show, shoot us a message on Facebook. Um, I never plug any of this stuff. I probably should. But um, rate and review on iTunes. That's how people find the show. It's supposed to be really good for the show. I don't really understand all the uh, the data of how all that works, but apparently I'm, you know, I'm supposed to suggest that. But um, Yeah, give us a like on Facebook and all that good stuff. Do you want to... Um, we're just going to play out with Jocko here. Do you want to kind of... Uh, oh, yeah, so Jocko... Um, nothing would be complete without... A reference to Jaco Pastorius, especially the fretless bass players. Uh, like in the last track, that's definitely a big Jaco influence in there. And uh, he was a, an amazing composer. Um, there's a song that's called Lib- featuring Herbie Hancock. Liberty City. Maybe we should listen to that. I haven't heard this version. Let's check it out, though. With um, so, let's do that one. Jaco Pastorius with Herbie Hancock. Yeah, I didn't know he was great. in there. So, I mean, he was an amazing composer, too. Um, and here's a song of his called Liberty City. Okay, cool. Which... So, thanks, guys.